everyone, and welcome to the Live Through Jesus podcast with Courtney Gilman. On this episode, an inheritance for God's people, leaving a legacy, and when God doesn't say. Numbers 26, 27, and 32. All scriptures read from the ESV version. Quickly before we get started, if you're new to Live Through Jesus, make sure you go to livethroughjesus.com and sign up to receive your free five-week Bible study over Abraham. There you'll also find blog posts that coincide with the teachings on this podcast and social media links, which is another way to keep in touch throughout the week. Okay, let's get started. As we approach the new year, we begin to think about what we might want to do different next year. So I want you to think today, what kind of legacy do you want to leave? How do you want to be remembered? By your coworkers, by your family, by your friends, by the people in the community, the people in your church? Is there any way that your name can live on after you're gone? What kind of inheritance do you want to leave to the people that matter to you? In this lesson today, God explains to the Israelites what their inheritance will be. As the people are preparing to go into the promised land, God tells them what their inheritance will be. So let's go ahead and read in Numbers 32. We're going to start in 32 and then end with 26 and 27. It's a little back. So Numbers 32.1 says, Now the people of Reuben and the people of Gad had a very great number of livestock. And they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, and behold, the place was a place for livestock. So the people of Gad and the people of Reuben came and said to Moses and Eleazar the priest and to the chiefs of the congregation. And then it lists those people's names. And then verse 4 says, The land that the Lord struck down before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. And they said, If we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants for for a possession, and do not take us across to the Jordan. So remember a few lessons back, the Israelites had defeated the land of Sihon and Og that is east of the Jordan River. And then the promised land is on the western side of the Jordan River. And they're about to go over and begin defeating the people in the western, on the western side of the Jordan River. And that is where their inheritance is supposed to be. But the people of Reuben and Gad, they like this land that they're living in now, this area that they have on the eastern side of the Jordan. And they're asking Moses, can we stay in this part and not take an inheritance in the new land? And the rest of 32 is a long passage. And so I'm just going to summarize it for you. Moses does not like this idea because initially he thinks that they are doing two things. They're trying to get out of fighting because they're like, oh, we already fought for this land. And so we just like to keep this land. We don't want to fight anymore. We just want to settle and be done. And Moses obviously doesn't like that idea because the rest of the tribes of Israel are still needing to fight for their land. And so Moses says, no, you're not going to get out of fighting. You're going to go over and fight with your brothers. 
So that's the first thing. The second thing is he also doesn't want them to discourage their brothers from fighting because if they did, if all of them decide to do this, then no one is going to go into the promised land and it's going to be exactly like it was with their fathers when they refused to go in. And this has been God's plan the whole time. And so Moses says, no, you're not going to send your brothers over there to fight while you're sitting here in your comfy little homes. And you're also not going to discourage them from going over there to fight because this has been God's plan the whole time. And I have been cheated out of the last 40 years. Moses could have been living in this land for 40 years, but their fathers chose not to go in. And so he has been punished along with them and had to stay in this other land for the last 40 years. And so he says, no, you're going to go over there and fight. And Reuben and Gad said, no, no, you're misunderstanding me. We're fine with fighting. We want to fulfill our responsibility to fight with our brothers, and we're not trying to discourage them from going over. We don't want to receive our inheritance now and get out of the fighting. It's just that when our brothers receive their inheritance on the western side of the Jordan, we want our inheritance to be on the eastern side. We're going to go over and fight. We want to enter this land that God has asked us for. And so Moses is like, okay, I understand now. That's fine. If you will fight with your people, then whenever all the fighting is over and everyone receives their land, then you can receive land on this side of of the Jordan instead of the western side. But because Moses isn't going to be with them anymore, Moses is about to pass away. He tells Eleazar the priest, this and Joshua, the whole plan. So he makes them swear that they will make sure that Gad and Reuben fight for this land and don't get any of their inheritance until their brothers receive their inheritance too. And then when part of the tribe of Manasseh sees that Reuben and Gad are going to get some of this land, they say, well, there's a little bit of land north that we really like. Maybe we should go and defeat that land, and then we can have land on this side of the Jordan also. And so part of the tribe of Manasseh goes and fights in the northern land and conquers that land for themselves. And so when all the fighting is said and done, Reuben is going to get the southern part of the land that belonged to Sihon. And Gad will get the central part of the land that belonged to Og. And then half of the tribe of Manasseh will receive the northern part of the land. And then the other half of the tribe of Manasseh will receive the land in on the western side of the Jordan in the promised land. And so that covers that portion of the lesson. This is just information about the land that they're going to receive. Now, in chapter 26... God told Moses to begin counting the people. They had taken a census 40 years before of their fathers, and now they're taking a census of how many people there are now that are about to enter the promised land. And if you want to know the numbers of each tribe and all of that, you can go and look in chapter 26. I'm not going to read all of those numbers to you. Some of the tribes have a little bit more. Some of them have a little bit less. Simeon has a lot less than he had before. We're not exactly sure why that is. And so the reason they were counting the people was to know their total, but also to know the total of each tribe, because when they get into the land, that is how it it is going to be determined who gets what piece and how much of it.
This is what it says in Numbers 26, 52 to 56. The Lord said to Moses, Among these the land shall be divided for inheritance according to the number of names. To a large tribe you shall give a large inheritance, and to a small tribe you shall give a small inheritance. Every tribe shall be given its inheritance in portion to its list. But the land shall be divided by lot, according to the names of the tribes of the fathers they shall inherit. Their inheritance shall be divided according to lot between the larger and the smaller. So he says you're going to draw lots to determine the order that you begin giving this land out. And then you give more land to the tribes that have more people and less land to the tribes that have less people. So this is the purpose of the census. The other purpose of the census was for the Levites. Now the Levites, they are the ones that are set apart to God. All the way back in Exodus, when the people left Egypt, the last plague that God sent upon the Egyptians was to kill their firstborn sons. And there's a complicated reason for why he did that, so you'll have to go back and read or listen to that in order to hear why that happened. But God did not kill the firstborn of the Israelite children. He passed over their houses, and then after they had escaped, in thanks to God for not killing their firstborn sons, God says, I want you to dedicate your firstborn son to me. But so that they wouldn't have to actually give their firstborn son to the service of God forever, like to the church, to the tabernacle for service, God said, instead of each one of you having to do that, I'm going to take the entire tribe of Levi to be in service to me. And so the Levites do not get an inheritance of their own land because they live at the church, wherever the tabernacle is. And they are in service to God there. And so they don't receive any inheritance. So their number doesn't matter for that purpose, but their number matters because we want to know how many people are we dedicating to God. And does that coincide with the number of firstborn children in all of the rest of the 11 tribes? And so that's why they count that number. And it just so happens that the tribe of Levi has actually grown by a thousand. So they have a thousand more than they had 40 years ago that are going to be dedicating their lives to serving the Lord in this new promised land. Now, only two daughters are mentioned among all of the men that are counted. Now, one of the women is Asher's daughter, and the other women are Zelophehad's daughters. Now, Asher's daughter's name is Sarah, and he had three other sons that were mentioned, and we have no idea why this girl was mentioned. She's only mentioned in the genealogies. We see no significance to her, but for some reason, she was mentioned. But we do know why Zelophehad's daughters were mentioned, and that is because he had no son. And since he had no sons, his daughters wondered what would happen to his inheritance whenever he died. Who would get his land? Because only the sons were were given land because when the daughters would marry the men, then they would move on to their husband's land. And so the daughters couldn't be given any land because 
it would all get mixed up. Whose land would they move to? Would they move to the woman's land or to the man's land whenever they joined their houses? And so the men were the only ones given the land. But these daughters are like, why does our dad not get any inheritance just because he didn't have any sons? And Moses is like, that's a very good question. And God never answered that. What happens if they have no sons? So Moses goes to God and he asks him, what happens to the men's inheritance who don't have any sons? And God says, the girls should get the land. And so Moses goes back and tells Zelophehad's daughters, you get the land since there are no sons. Well, then now Zelophehad's brothers are concerned because they share this land with their brothers. And they're like, well, what happens if the women get married? Then do their husbands get some of this land? Because their husbands already have an inheritance in their own land. So how is this going to work? So again, Moses is like, hmm, I do not know the answer to this. Let me go and ask God. And so he goes and asks God, what happens to this land? And God says, very good question. Because these women are receiving land, they can only marry within their own tribe. That way the land stays within their family. If they chose to marry outside of their tribe, then they would forfeit that land and that wouldn't be fair to their family. And so God says they have to marry within their own tribes, which would just be cousins and things like that. And there's a lot of people, so it would be fine for, for that to happen. And so God made a new law and he says, if the men do not have any sons, then they will give the land to their daughters and their daughters will, will marry within their own tribes. If they have no daughters, then the land would go to their, his brothers. If he has no brothers, then the land would go to his uncles. And if he has no uncles, then it would go to his next of kin. So God makes this new law because the people didn't know what to do about this. So there are two things that we can take away from all of this information that we get about the inheritance of the people and how God answered these questions for them. The first thing is that God does care about our legacy. He cares about what we leave behind to our family. He cares about property. Because God has an inheritance waiting for us one day in heaven, these things matter to him. So I want to read you a couple of verses about our future inheritance, the inheritance that God is going to give to us. John 14, 1 through 6 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said, Lord, how do we know where you're going and how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we have an inheritance in heaven. And that's why he cares about our inheritance here on earth also. Romans eight thirteen to 17. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the de deeds of the body, and you will live. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, 
Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So we are heirs with Jesus. We receive an inheritance along with Jesus now because we are God's children. So if God cares about his children and gives them an inheritance, then he cares about the inheritance that we leave for our children. Not only, though, do we care about the land and the things that we give to our children, but we want to leave a legacy to our children, right? That's what we were talking about in the beginning of this. How do we want to be remembered? What do we want people to gain by knowing us? Listen to what it says in Proverbs 10, 7. The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. So let's just forget the name of the wicked, right? Forget about them. But the name of the righteous is a blessing. The memory of the righteous is a blessing. That's what we want to be. We want our memory to be a blessing to others. When they think of us, we want them to be blessed. Psalm 112, 1 through 6. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with a man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. These are the things that we want for our children, right? We want them to inherit blessing from us. Grace, mercy, and righteousness. Generosity, justice. It says this person will be remembered forever. That's what we want. We want our life to mean something, right? And and this says that our life will mean something if it's lived in God. If we exhibit the qualities of God, then we will hand those things down to our children. That is the most important legacy that we can leave, right? This is the very most important. And then 2 Timothy 1.5. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you. So that's the greatest legacy we can leave to our children, right? Our faith. That's what we need to be thinking about. What can we leave to them that will last? Something that will truly mean something. And then something else that we can just think about as far as leaving to our children is how God gave to his children fairly. He gave to each according to his number. And so no large tribe had tons and tons of stuff that they didn't need. And no small tribe didn't have enough for their numbers. And we should be thinking about leaving things fairly to our children, making sure that we're impartial. God is an impartial father, and we should be impartial parents. Another thing that we can learn from this inheritance is how 
God made sure that he took care of the family. Zelophehad's family got an inheritance even though he didn't have any children. And then they had to keep that inheritance within their family. They had to make sure that their kids got what belonged to their family. And so that's another thing that we can be thinking of as we're thinking about the legacy that we can leave to our children is... Are we being fair? Are we giving to everybody what they need and what is best for them and not more or less to another, depending upon, you know, how we feel about this family member or that family member? That isn't how God acts and that's not how we should act either. So these are things that we can learn from the inheritance part of this lesson. The last thing that I want to talk about today doesn't have to do with inheritance, but it has to do with this part about how God had not given the answer to this. God gave Moses all these instructions and he didn't have an instruction for this. And so what do we do whenever God doesn't say? He doesn't speak to this matter in our lives. Maybe we have a question about what we should do or where we should go and God doesn't say anything about it. We know that his word does spell out things for us. It does give us answers to certain things. And so God's word, the Bible, does speak specifically to lots of things for us. And so that should be the first thing is that we should find out, has God spoken to this matter? Has he already laid out an answer to my question? The Bible is his word to his people, and so he gives us a lot of instruction in it. So I'm going to read you just a couple of verses about how important the Bible is and how it speaks to our lives. Matthew 4, 4 says, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so these are the words that proceed from the mouth of God, and so we need to live by these words that God has given us. Ephesians six seventeen, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The sword is the weapon. So he says, my word is your weapon against Satan, against the evils of this world. And so it gives us the answers how to combat those things. So that's another way that the Bible is very important in how God speaks to us. First Thessalonians two thirteen. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So this is not man's word. This is God's word. And if it's God's word to us, then it's important. Hebrews 4, 12. But the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Bible should be our guide. But sometimes God doesn't speak to certain circumstances, right? There's certain things he spells out very clearly. Do this, don't do this. This is the way that this looks. Watch these people's lives. This is how they do it, things like that. But then there's other things that God doesn't speak to. Where do you go to school? What job do you take? Who do I marry? You know, and a million other decisions in between. And so how do we find the answers to those when it seems that God doesn't speak to that? 
how do we find the answer? Prayer. <laughs> Prayer is our way to find the answers to things that God doesn't speak to, which is exactly what Moses did. He prayed. He said, God, what's the answer to this? And so that's what we do also. God, I've looked through your word and I can't find an answer to this. Now, maybe it's not explicitly spelled out in his word, but you get a general idea. You know, you know not to do this because that's not in God's character. Or you know you should do this because this fits with the character of God. But when you can't find any answers in the Bible, you go to him and you say, God, how do I handle this situation? What do you want me to do? And so I'm just going to end with four passages that talk a little bit about this, okay? Proverbs 2, 1 through 11 says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commands within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as if hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk with integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity in every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you, and understanding will guard you. So seek wisdom. Treasure up God's commands within your heart. Incline your ear to hear what he has to say, and then he will speak to you. He will guide you. He will teach you to fear him. He will show you what is just, what is fair, what is good. He will guard your paths. He will direct your paths. He will protect you. All of these things if you will just seek him. John fourteen fifteen to 17 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask my father, and he will give to you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive, because it neither sees or knows him. You know him, for he dwells in you, and he will be with you. And then skip down to 25 and 26. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said. So this is Jesus, and he's explaining to his disciples that when he's gone, God is going to send another helper and he will be the Holy Spirit. The Spirit will guide you. So if the word of God written in the Bible, if the word of God doesn't guide us, then we have the Holy Spirit to guide us. And it says he will help us and he will teach us the truth. He will dwell in us and he will tell us all of the things that will be to come and he will remind us of all the things that already have been said by God. So he will tell us the future that we do not know and he will remind us of the things that God has written in his word if we have studied it and we know it. So this is all the things that the spirit will do. 
Now, Jesus is still speaking in chapter 16 of John, and this is verses 12 through 14, and it says, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them right now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit will tell us what Jesus has to say to us. And then lastly, James 1, verses 5 to 8 say, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is double-minded and unstable in all his ways. So ask for wisdom, and God will give generously to those who ask for the things that he Wants for us anyway. God obviously wants us to be wise. And so if we're seeking after wisdom, like that Proverbs verse says, then he will give it to us. And then at the end of that chapter, verses 22 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself, and then goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And so don't only seek after what God is telling you, but do it. These are the the words from the Lord. If you don't know what it is that God wants you to do, Look in his word. And if you can't find the answer there, pray to him. And then listen. Incline your ear to hear what it is that he has to say. Pay attention. Look around at all of the ways that he may be answering your prayers. And then go to him and say, God, I think this is what you're saying. Is this what you're saying to me? Is this what you want me to do? And then just like the situation with the daughters, He gave them an answer and they said, okay. And then they implemented it and they said, wait, I have more questions. Go back to him. Keep asking him. Keep trying to figure out all of the steps to what he's wanting you to do, but he may give them to you a little bit at a time. So just ask, listen, pay attention, and then start making steps in the direction that you think he's leading you and continue to be attentive. All of the answers for your specific situation may not be in his word. So we need all of it, right? We need the Bible. We need to listen to what he has to say to us there. And we need a relationship with him where we're talking with him and listening to him, knowing what it is that he is telling us and how he's guiding us and then following through with that. So that was just a little side note on the inheritance portion of this lesson, but I just didn't want to pass it by because it's important to see how people are handling certain situations and how that can apply to our lives. So back to the inheritance portion. As you're thinking about your New Year's resolution, think about what do I want my legacy to be? 
What can I leave my children that's lasting? What can I leave to those in my community, in my church, at my job, all of the people that know me? What can I leave to them that matters? How can my name be carried on? What characteristics do you want those people to see in you that they then inherit and begin to exhibit themselves and carry on? Our faith in God and the characteristics that he gives us are the only things that really matter. They're the only things that are lasting. And so if you're going to make any changes to your life, let them be changes that matter. Things that are going to be lasting and not things that are just going to give a gain to you, but things that will make your name live on. Things that will benefit those around you even after you're gone, right? Leave a lasting inheritance. Okay, so next week, next year, we will start in Deuteronomy. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss that episode. Leave me a five-star review and comments wherever you're listening. I'd love to hear how y'all are enjoying this podcast and how God's speaking to you. And then if you haven't, go to my website, livethroughjesus.com and sign up for the free five-week Bible study there and then look at the blog post that I have posted there. There's several. Thanks and have a good day. Thank you.